The Association for Diplomatic Studies and Training, or ADST, is an independent nonprofit organization located in Arlington, Virginia. Over the past 30 years, ADST has produced the largest U.S. diplomatic oral history collection, unveiling the horrifying, thought-provoking, and the absurd events that helped shape foreign policy. ADST.org. American diplomacy, warts and all. In 1972, General Mohamed Oufkir of the Moroccan military orchestrated a coup to shoot down the plane of Morocco's King Hassan II. The attempted coup failed, and King Hassan II survived, punishing anyone suspected to be involved in the plan. Shortly after the incident, General Oufkir was found dead with multiple gunshot wounds, and over 50 army officers simply disappeared, imprisoned in a secret underground prison in the Atlas Mountains. Nearly 20 years after the failed coup, Thomas Miller, director in the Office of North African Affairs at the State Department, was asked by a wife of one of these disappeared men to help find and encourage the release of her husband. Pressure from human rights organizations and the U.S. government led to the eventual closing of the prison and release of the remaining detainees in 1991. In his interview with Charles Stewart Kennedy in April 2010, Thomas Miller recalls the slack given to Morocco, a U.S. ally, and his own contributions to the release of a Moroccan man disappeared and imprisoned for 19 years. Later in his career, Ambassador Miller was appointed by Secretary of State Hillary Clinton in 2011 to be chairman of the International Commissions on Missing Persons. You're listening to The Power of a Talking Point. Well, Morocco did two things, uh, and this is very important, and this is why Morocco kind of had a special place with us. Number one, they had a very large Jewish community, and they treated them okay. And that was kind of significant in the Arab world. Number two, when we launched the, um, the peace process from the, from the Madrid Peace Conference in 1991, Morocco was one of the few Arab countries that jumped on board and supported it. And this, made, this meant big stuff to us. And so Morocco, we would always give the benefit of the doubt, plus provision of regional facilities, plus good cooperation on other fronts. Um, so we always kind of cut them some slack. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it didn't mean, I remember on the human rights front, there were always problems on human rights. And we, we would call it as we see it, and the Moroccans got upset um, uh, because they kind of expected that's not the way friends should treat each other. But we, we, would, be, we would be pretty pretty honest on the human rights front. I remember one story in particular on human rights. Um, I had been, I'd come to the office, and a few months after I arrived in the office, I got a letter from a lady from a school teacher in Nebraska. And she told me this unbelievable story, and I didn't know what to you know, whether it's, you know, what, to, what to think. She told me that she had been teaching in the early 60s, and we're now in the late 80s, teaching English as a young lady, as a young teacher in Morocco, and she fell in love with a Moroccan guy in the Air Force, just a sergeant. And they got married, and they had a kid. And this was early 60s, and around, just after she had the kid, or maybe she was pregnant, I don't even remember, but she did have a son, you know, at some point. Um, there was a coup against the, the king. And uh, the king put down the coup, and they tried to shoot down the king's plane. And, um, and the king survived. 
and um, and the king ordered that all the people, including you know the army chief and whoever else in the air force, all these people, they'd be rounded up and executed. And a bunch of people were executed. A lot of people were executed. But he also ordered that anyone who had been at all involved in any way, shape, or form be arrested. And this sergeant, this Air Force sergeant, worked at the Air Force base that the rebels had taken off from. And he, I think he was in charge of refueling or something like that. And they arrested this guy. And he had just gotten married to this young American, you know. Um, and um, they took these guys, and I think it was about 60 of them they arrested. And they took them and they stuck them in a hole in the desert. I mean, it was literally, I think it was called Tamarasa. And, uh, and it, was it wasn't a town, it wasn't anything, it was just literally a bunch of underground dungeons they had dug out of the desert. And the king basically said, I don't ever want to hear from about them again. They don't exist as far as I'm concerned. And over the years, I think about two-thirds of them died. I mean, they just were in this hole, and it was like a, you know, it was a dungeon. And they were, you know, abused and mistreated and starved and all the rest of the stuff. And the king is coming on a visit, to a state visit to the United States. This lady had met me, and she told me I was the first one who would even listen to her. And, you know, I did some checking. Does anyone know, anyone in the intelligence community know about this prison? And there were kind of faint rumors, but no one could ever confirm that it even existed. The fact her husband, you know, had disappeared. We knew that much. So I, I had heard this story, and I stayed in touch with her. And the king of Morocco is coming a couple of years later on a state visit. And I inserted, you know, on all the talking points, of which they were voluminous, uh, a piece about um, this prison, and it was just a it was a one line throwaway for the president to use, and and the president used it, and the king got very upset over this, and um, the visit finished. I mean, it wasn't didn't kill the visit, uh, and and I got kind of you know I got a hearing from the Moroccan ambassador. How could you embarrass our king? And I, you know all kind of stuff. Three months later. The king ordered the survivors to be released, and this guy had survived. He was one of 19 people out of, I think, around 60 who had gone into this jail, who was still alive. And I think one of the one of the sharpest and kind of most poignant memories I'll ever have in my life, not just State Department, is when um, his name was Embark Tuil, and when he and his wife came back to the States. And they stopped in to visit me. And I saw this guy. And this is, you know, he was just like a skinny little runt. And Nancy was his wife, Nancy Twill. And they just stopped to thank me. And, um, and then went back to Nebraska. And I stayed in touch with them for years and then lost touch with them. I told my kids when they were a little bit older the story. And they, they still remember it to this day. And, you know, I mean, the message is don't ever give up. The message is people do matter. You know, we're not, we're not just a business of a lot of paper. We're a business of human beings. This podcast has been brought to you by the Association for Diplomatic Studies and Training. 
For more, check out our website at ADST.org. ADST, American Diplomacy, Warts and All.